Look at you. Wow. Amazing people of God. You glad to be in church? Come on, look at that person beside you and look how good they look. Come on, tell them something. Unless you're single and it's... uh, and it could cause you trouble, then don't do that, of course. But. Hallelujah. Well, we've been having fun. You've been having fun with us? If you're newer with us today or um, new to New Horizon, we've been on this theme called Wealth Builders. And uh, uh, I know a couple people stayed away because they thought it was going to be about tithing every week. And uh, they didn't want to hear that, so... But it's really been all sorts of other stuff. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? So that's been exciting uh, to hear about so many aspects, uh, so many of the spokes that uh, are interconnected to God, helping us, prospering us, enabling us. I love that. Amen? So I'm, I'm sitting here reminded this morning, and I want to just jog your hearts a little bit. So last week, though, Elder Joe uh, shared, and it was great to hear some of his life story as well. Some of that's fun. He told us uh, at lunch Sunday uh, after service a little bit more about that car that they traded in, that it actually died on the way to the dealership, and he just coasted it in, left it at the curb with the key in it because it, it wouldn't run. So, you know, just God's providential care for us is just amazing. Amen? So, just, uh, it's been fun to hear so many things. Uh, the week before, uh, Elder Craig shared with us, and that was fun. I wanted, you know, I wanted these guys to share because they are living examples of the hand of the Lord on their lives. They're living examples of believers. I really believe the Bible is not about preachers, pastors, and fivefold ministers. The Bible is about ordinary people. And I think that's what's amazing about the Bible is that, that it's really about God's hand touching ordinary people and raising up ordinary people. That's part of what really quickens me with extreme hope and excitement uh, because, you know, most of my life we've actually heard that it's the pastors and uh, the missionaries, the evangelists, the fivefold guys. Those are the real anointed special people. That's kind of what we've heard all of our lives. Either we caught it or it was taught, right? But actually, the Bible's just just kind of reversed to that. You know what? God raising up Daniel. God raising up Joseph. God raising up this one and that one. God, you know, choosing a, a, a young shepherd and, and, and calling him and then doing something great through him. And, and I think that's God's heart. God's heart is to touch you, to touch ordinary people and to raise us up. Amen? So fun this week in Restored Life. We were, we were in the class and, and one of the, one of the, st- Students going through Restored Life shared, you know, that, you know, they took some of this material and this week they were with a friend and they were able to pray with this friend and this friend was getting breakthroughs during the prayer. And then they, and then they said, did I do the right thing? <laughs> and I looked at the class. I'm like, did she do the right thing? And everybody's like, ah! you know, because as I was sharing with them, really, you're the ministers. I'm not the minister. You're the ministers. We call me the minister. It's backwards. You're the ministers. I'm supposed to be the equipper. You're supposed to be the ministers. Yeah? You're actually, you're licensed and ordained. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Wow. I love that. 
So thinking about uh, wealth builders, you know, God wants to, God wants to establish us, and I don't know where that came from. Uh, we, you know, we came up with that name years ago. So I don't know. I think uh, yesterday the seminar was like our tenth anniversary of Joe and Sandy doing wealth builders, and now Craig and Claire are going to be a part of it. And part of that has just been, uh, you know, he's been teaching about rapid debt, re, uh, rapid debt payment repayment. And I think that's been really cool because uh, they've had some really cool experiences with that. So we, you know, we just wanted to impart some very practical stuff to you. But my mind went, uh, just real quick, before we get into the Word, you know, my mind went to Deuteronomy 8.18. And, and God's heart over the people of Israel is God's heart over us as well. And here it says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth or create, one translation says. He is the one who gives you the power to create wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Isn't that cool? God gives you the power to create wealth. And even, you know, even the grace on you right now uh, is, is grace from God. Yeah, And then Craig spent a little bit of time in Deuteronomy 28 and just read that to us, and I love that. And again, these promises over Israel are, are very much a sign of God's promises over us because these promises have been fulfilled. These promises, that is, Jesus has qualified us to become partakers of these promises. And here it says that these blessings the blessings that he's going to name, will come upon you. Blessed will you be in the city. Blessed you'll be in the country. Blessed the offspring of your body and the ground and the offspring of your beasts and your herds and your flocks and your baskets and your kneading bowls, your kitchen aids, your ovens, your pantries. Blessed you will be when you come in and blessed you'll be when you go out. The Lord will cause these blessings to come upon you. And he says these blessings will overtake you. I love that. Amen? So, Father, we just open our hearts this morning to receive more wisdom from above. Lord, we ask you to teach us. We ask you to bring the essence of your goodness to us. We ask you to quicken us with with deep and rich understanding. We come today wanting the tools, the principles that give us transformation, not just information. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, today uh, I, want to, uh, I want to minister specifically on canceling insufficiency. So this is kind of an interesting theme, and it's kind of born out of Recover Life, and you're going to hear some Recover Life, some Restored Life theology this morning. But this is where my heart was. Joe kind of introduced it at the end of his message last week, and I thought, well, that'd be a, be a really fun thing to end our series with is to talk about canceling insufficiency. Now, as we talk about this, remember any aspect we talk about with regard to wealth, with regard to fruitfulness, with regard to increase, is just one spoke on the wheel. It's not the exhaustive revelation that God has for us, but it's one spoke, and it's an important spoke, amen? And so this is, uh, this is something that just kind of caught my heart today, and I wanted to talk to you about it. First of all, um, I, wa- I want you to see and think about, and this is 
this has rocked my world, and, and I hope it rocks yours, is that the law of seed time and harvest is actually uh, at the center of everything. The law of seed time and harvest is at the center of everything. And I like to think about it that it's at the center of things physical, and we know that we see that. If we're gardeners, we see that. Uh, but it's also at the center of all things, even spiritual. And I want to read this to you, Genesis 1 and verse 11. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. We know that things bear fruit, they bring forth after their kind. That is, there's a, there's a written code within the DNA of any particular thing, and it can't bear something else. Now, we have genetic altering today, right? And we're supposed to stay away from that stuff. Uh, we're hearing it's not so healthy. Uh, 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 the DNA code will cause something to reproduce after its kind. Amen? And so even with us, you know, if we think about this, uh, even with us, um, you know, I talk about my floppy earlobes came from somewhere. And uh, I think it's my mom's side, right? And then I had severe overbite. Some of you remember that. Some of you don't. But uh, back in like 1990, I had jaw surgery and we had my jaw pulled forward about five-eighths of an inch because uh, my grandfather married a woman. She, he married a chap, somebody out of the Chapman family. And a little recessive trait they had in their physical character uh, was severe overbite. And uh, so I wanted that corrected. Is that all right? Do you still love me? So I did some DNA altering. We had some crop failure come in right there. And the surgeon helped me with crop failure. And so we uh, overcame that recessive trait and uh, moved my jaw forward, fixed my teeth. And uh, I became extremely handsome. Well, so Mrs. Wolf thinks. Hey, the cool thing is she picked me when I still had overbites. That's cool. What do you think of that, huh? Okay, now you're thinking she's blind and needs help. But, but we know that, we know that uh, uh, I want to go back to that. We know that physical traits are there, but one thing that we're learning, and we've begun to hear it through studies in psychology and such, is that physical, spiritual traits are passed genetically as well. And this is why Jesus couldn't be of the seed of man. Essentially, God had to plant a brand new seed in the womb of Mary because genetically, spiritual traits are passed along as well. So this is interesting, and Exodus 20 says that that reach could go back to the fourth generation. And so we understand that there's this whole spiritual quagmire that, that comes our way, and I like to think of it this way, is that we know that righteousness is a gift from God. We didn't earn it or deserve it. Uh, unfortunately, unrighteousness is also. You didn't earn it or you, and you didn't deserve it. It's a gift, not from God, but it's a gift. You were born with it, right? And so these seeds influence us, and these seeds of darkness are at the center of our lives when we come to Jesus. fact is, a lot of us have spent most of our life, most of our life with the influence of seeds of darkness. Most of us, uh, maybe we don't come to the Lord until we're 17, 18, 25, 34. We don't come to the Lord maybe until we're 11 or 12. But nonetheless, either through lineage or through experience, 
these seeds of darkness are a part of our lives. They're sown in our hearts. And, uh, you know, various sources make these deposits. I, I was thinking even that hurts make a deposit, uh, and which is a really weird thing, right? But I tell people in Restored Life, it's very important that as you mature now in the Lord, be sure and spit out the seeds. We can even vicariously watch somebody get injured and participate in something. So we have to be careful how we live now that we're maturing in the Lord because these seeds are going to be sown into our heart. And if we don't refuse or resist or overcome them, and that's what today's theme is about, then they tend, you know, to produce roots. So there's lineage and that's just a huge issue going way back and to the fourth generation. But like injury, even I like to think about injury because the Bible says there in Genesis 1.11 that the fruit has seed within it. So that's kind of a weird thing. So like the fruit of love, if somebody serves you the fruit of love, then the seed for you to bear fruit of love is in that fruit that they served you. So actually, when somebody serves you love, it's actually enabling you to bear more of the fruit of love because the seed of love is in the fruit they're serving you. But when somebody serves you rejection, when somebody serves you abuse, when somebody serves you harm, when somebody serves you offense, when somebody serves you injury, then a lot of times we don't realize even... After we come to the Lord, we don't realize that within that fruit is the seed to bear the fruit of what they served us. So if we let, and that's essentially where a root of bitterness comes from. Hebrews twelve fifteen talks about a root of bitterness. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness causes trouble, springs up and causes trouble. And so even as Christians, sometimes we have trouble with this because a root develops first out of a seed. And these seeds of darkness are oftentimes the center of our lives when we come to the Lord. And here's what Jesus says about some of this, Matthew twelve thirty three: Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. So this is interesting. He's talking about something. He says, actually, there's a root system, there's a tree, uh, and and most of us don't walk up to trees. And this is kind of what he was saying, is that most of us don't walk up to trees and identify the tree, the quality of the tree, the kind of tree, the species of the tree. Most of us don't do that by examining the bark or the trunk. Uh, Most of us uh, wouldn't even know what in the world the differences between maybe pear bark and apple bark or whatever. But most of us examine the fruit, and we know the tree by the fruit. And, and you know, God talked that way to, to Samuel as well when he was looking to anoint uh, one as king. He said, man looks on the outside, whereas God looks on the heart. And this is, this is the way we typically, and so people are examining our fruit as well, Yes. And see, we're examining our fruit as well. You ever examine your fruit? You brood of vipers. I didn't mean that, but I just, I'm reading. How can you, let's read on, being evil, speak what is good, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, again, he's on, he's on the same theme here. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, 
the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So he, sa- so he says here that the tree will be known by its fruit, the fruits connected to the root, but all of that is interconnected to the treasure of the heart. It's the treasure of the heart that determines the tree. Now, a lot of us, and especially, you know, in today's world, uh, we're working so hard, we're working so hard on adjusting behavior, sometimes we don't realize that if we just adjust the inner core, right, if we adjust the heart, if we work on our soul, Craig referred to that two weeks ago when he spoke, Third John Verse 2, Beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I think John said it that way because he knew that those three things were interlinked. And if your soul is not prospering, then your health and your wealth will also be suffering. They still say today that 80% of sickness and disease is psychosomatic. That is, it's related to something wrong in the soul. Something wrong in the soul. So we come to the Lord, and a lot of our thinking, or some of our thinking, or a portion of our thinking, and therefore our behavior is still contrary to God's higher ways and his hopes and dreams and what he has for us. Here's what he says in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's got these really cool things and these thoughts, this way of thinking, and we want to allow those things to transform our lives. Amen? We want his thoughts to literally be written on our heart And we teach that it's the soul part of our heart that he's writing on. Your spirit has no problem whatsoever. Your spirit is willing. (laughs) Jesus said when it comes to prayer, right? The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Your spirit is where the presence of the Lord is dwelling. The spirit is where the witness of the Holy Spirit is dwelling. That your spirit, man, is the part where truth dwells. But we want his thoughts to permeate even the arguments that we have within our soul. You ever had an argument? So here's the deal. As long as some of these, and we're going to call them today demonic seeds, as long as these demonic seeds are predominant within our soul, it will essentially harm our prosperity. It might harm our work ethic. It might harm our vision. It might harm our perspective. It might harm our imagination. Listen to the parable of the sower, and I want you to just walk through this with me really quick, because here Jesus is actually talking about this very thing. He's saying that your heart is like soil. In Luke 8, which is a parallel of the synoptic gospels to what I'm about to read in Matthew in Luke 8 verse 11, He says, the seed, I want to explain this parable to you. The seed is the word of God. Now, we've got seeds within us. These seeds represent demonic, earthy, natural way of thinking. 
But now we're receiving new seed. We're born again of new seed. We're submitting our hearts to new seed. And this new seed, 1 Peter 1, 21 through 23, is incorruptible seed, imperishable seed. It has the ability, James 1.21 says, to actually bring salvation to your soul. Now that you've been born of the Spirit, God wants your soul to be made alive, regenerated with regard to every portion of it. Amen? So here he talks about four different kinds of hearts, four different kinds of soils. Are you still with me? Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart or what he heard. This is the one in whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one in whom the seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Rocky places, hardness of heart, resistance, doubt, injury, unbelief, generational or difficulty out of the lineage. He has no firm root in himself. Why? Because there's still arguments within. And so the word becomes only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, another sermon right there, by the way. Somebody told me this week, I thought when I came to the Lord, things were going to get easier. It's actually gotten harder. Yeah, well, persecution arises because of the word. But it won't arise long if you'll hold fast. Amen? So if you, can, if you can hold on long enough to beat it up, then it'll go away. That's part of today's message. When persecution arises because of the word, he immediately falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, but the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. See, there's a deceitfulness of wealth too. Money's not bad. It's attitudes toward money. Joe said it last week. It's the love of money. It's reliance on money. It's trusting in money. That's why I love Matthew 6, right? All the way through Matthew 6, right down to verse 33. But he says, you know, those those who don't have a father, because he says the Gentiles. Any Gentile in the room? It's a non-Jew. Everybody's telling me I'm a Jew. I like that. Wolf with an E. That's a Jew. I'm of the ten lost tribes. Why are you laughing? I heard that snicker. The Gentiles, the Gentiles pursue wealth first. They don't know, they don't know the father relationship. See, when we come into the kingdom, we, we begin to realize we have a father, we have an Abba, we have a daddy, we have a dear one, we have a provider, we have one who's actually thinking ahead of our current situation and setting up provisions so that when we get there, it's there waiting for us. We have that good of a father. So he says, you know, the Gentiles are seeking first the stuff, but I don't want it to be that way with you, you that know me as Father. Don't you know your Father knows you need all that stuff? Don't you know your Father needs, knows that you need all those things? Therefore, seek first the kingdom. Seek first His righteousness, and all those things shall be added to you. Where do you think they're added first? I would suggest to you that they're first added to your heart. 
They're first added to your mind. They're first added to your attitude. They're first added to visions and dreams. They're first added to the inward part of you. Have you had angels flying over your house, dropping wads of money in the backyard? It's not added that way. It's added internally. And there's a shift that begins to come. And you, and you begin to hear about starting a business. Or you, be, you get an idea about something in your company. Or you, you get a motivation to rise up before the alarm clock. Things begin to shift on the inside of you. Seek first the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that he longs to bring to you in the earth. Cooperate with that kingdom. Bask in that kingdom and all the these things shall be added to you. Come on, that's the life I want. Amen? I love that. So how's, where's Jesus come into all of this? And what did he do for us? And how did we get into this crop failure that I want to talk to you about today? Well, Jesus started a brand new species of people. Jesus was the seed of God in Mary's womb. Jesus had to be a separate, brand new. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says that he was the last Adam. That he came as a life-giving spirit. He was a type of Adam, and yet he was one who... Tempted in every way as we are, did not sin. And so Jesus starts this brand new race of humans. And by the way, you've been recreated by the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation in, not in Adam, but in Christ Jesus. And when Paul uses that phraseology, he's using it juxtaposed to Adam. He's saying you've come out of Adam and you've come into Christ Jesus. You have come to become a new creation. You are not who you were. You are a brand new creature, those of you that are in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing thing. I want to read this to you, John 1.14. The Word became flesh. The Word. What is Word? The seed of God. The seed of God took on a form of flesh. The Word of God. There's actually DNA in the Word of God. And it says that he was the summation of the law and the prophets. That he was the fulfillment of them. In other words, the embodiment of everything God had said, spoken, declared, revealed about himself, took on DNA and became a human. And that was Jesus. And he represents us as a covenant head, as a covenant leader, as the man, the perfect man before the Father. And he has come to give us crop failure. Now, we learn all the way back to Genesis that the law of reciprocity has been set in motion, the law of reciprocity, that when the seeds are sown within us, those seeds are going to bear fruit. They're going to yearn to bear fruit. They're going to be desiring to bear fruit. Those seeds of trouble, of sin, of iniquity, of failure, of fear. But Jesus came to give us crop failure. It's an amazing thing. In Jesus, this is crazy, the, this is, this, because we know reciprocity to be a law. We know it to be a dependable law. But in Jesus, the reciprocity of sin, of the curse, of the fallen nature, 
is actually circumvented. It's actually circumvented. Is that a cool thing? Is that an amazing thing? How was it circumvented? It was circumvented through his death. The cross is the central object of crop failure. The cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. This is, this is really cool because, you know, uh, legally, from a legal perspective, you know, God couldn't, God couldn't stop the seeds that are at work in your soul that will bear the fruit of despair or failure or abuse or that will sabotage your... God couldn't circumvent those seeds because reciprocity is a law. But if you die and you are raised up a new person, then those seeds are circumvented. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? In other words, you actually began a brand new life in Christ Jesus, and through death, those influences of those seeds are overcome and put to death. Jesus came to give us power or to set us free from the power of those seeds. Now, so many of us understand forgiveness, and we understand that we're forgiven through the Lord, but, but through this message, I, I want to just bring to your mind how powerful this is, that, that these seeds that would sabotage you otherwise have been put to death in the cross, and that you can be free from that which would have harmed, sabotaged, potentially destroyed you. Colossians 1 and 21. Are you okay so far? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. This is, this is, this is the coolest stuff ever. Listen, look at Colossians chapter 2 and 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, what's your part in all of this? What I'm talking about today, I think, is fairly well understood, but unfortunately, we think it's automatic. We think that there's not a faith relationship for us to enter into these realities. So we think that if we're just born of the Spirit, then automatically devils, demons, unclean seeds, the harvest of what we were partakers of, it will just run away. I'm sure I thought that and was taught that, and I hope that, but when I was 10 years old, I was exposed to pornography, and 
As I got baptized in water, it didn't run away. As I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it didn't run away. As I sought the Lord more fully, it didn't run away. It continued to come back. It continued to haunt me. The fact is, I would say that a propensity towards sexual addiction actually was growing through that seed. In other words, that seed was actually beginning to produce a little bit of a root system. If you follow me. Instead of running away. So what's the deal? What was happening within me? Well, I think that the parable of the sower was coming true a little bit. That which we just read out of Matthew 13 is that the seed was there, but the seed was being overshadowed by other things, other ways to gain pleasure, other ways to fulfill my needs, other ways to derive satisfaction, other ways to live. You see, we've got these giftings before we come to the Lord. We have personality before we come to the Lord. We have needs before we come to the Lord. And most all of that has been influenced by these seeds which twist and distort the way we get those needs met and the way we live. And now we come to the Lord, and though we become a new creature, and though what he's done for us in the cross is real, it's not automatic. We have a part to play in reinforcing or enforcing that which is ours in Christ Jesus. And I find that if we don't do that, if I don't do that, then the power of those seeds is resurrected. How many of you want victory over that stuff? Matthew 10, 38. Look what Jesus said, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me. Now, this is interesting. Again, uh, we might think, well, you know, God's going to do all this for me, and, and the Lord's going to do all this for me, and look what the Lord did in the cross. That is so cool. He put the power of the sinful nature to death, and, and he, he circumvents the law of sowing and reaping. I, I don't have to reap out of that realm anymore, but it's tied to the cross. It's tied to the cross. It's tied to us acknowledging the cross, applying the cross exercising our faith. And here Jesus doesn't say he's going to do it for you. He doesn't say that Father God's going to do it for you. And a lot of times, you know, we reach over here into some of our sovereignty of God thinking, and we, and we superimpose some of that excess in our own world. And, well, I guess, you know, when God's ready for me to be done with that, he'll help me. And I, I guess when, you know, when, when, you know, when it's time for me to get victory, he'll, he'll, he'll give me victory. And, and we import some wrong thinking over here, thinking that God's going to do this for us. God's going to take up my cross for me. No, the Lord already did. Now he's saying, you, you take the implement of death. You must lay hold of this. He who does not take up his cross... He who does not, you have a cross also. And your identification with that cross is putting to death, acknowledging, declaring, putting to death that sinful nature. Romans 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, what do we do with dead people? We bury them, right? 
It's what baptism is. It's a burial service. Have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism and the death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, surely we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that the body, that our body of sin, one translation says that the body of sin, it's like the power of the, power of the law of sin and death has been put to death against you, but will you get in agreement? Will you issue a divorce? You are a part of this crop failure. It was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves or obedient or pay attention to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. So these unclean seeds, they, they still want to produce after their own kind. They still want to bring forth poverty or sickness or lifting up something above the Lord, idolatry, fear, self-sufficiency, hopelessness, hatred, jealousy, doubt, rejection, negativity. They still want to influence us. And so there's something that we have to do even though they've been overcome through the power of the cross. And that is our part in the crop failure. What is our part? Renouncing that agreement. I talk about it in this way. It's like issuing a divorce. You know, to repent is to make things right with God. It's to turn toward God. And a repentance prayer is going to sound very much like a relational prayer toward God. You ever prayed a repentance prayer? A repentance prayer is a relational prayer toward God, and, and it is, it's, it's, it's made of intimacy. And if we, if we think of this in terms of marriage, which I, I love that way of thinking, if we think of this in terms of marriage, you know, if I've offended my wife, then a repentance prayer is making it up to her, Right? But a renouncing prayer is separating myself from another lover. A renouncing prayer is putting the enemy in its place. A renouncing prayer is weeding my heart garden. You ever had to weed the garden? Some stuff, you, you know, sometimes you go out there and something new has sprung up in your garden box. And you're like, what in the world? How'd that happen? And if you let it grow, it might continue to grow up and begin to steal nutrition, attention, water, light from the good stuff that you planted on purpose, right? So even as it shows up, you want to weed it, you want to get it out. And renouncing your agreement to the demonic realm is your part in this equation. Renouncing is to declare a legal separation from the demonic realm. That is, every seed of iniquity that wants to visit your heart, it has reasoning attached to it. It has a voice. It has reasoning. You can't afford that. That wouldn't be good. Why would you do that? 
Oh, I don't think others are doing that. Oh, have you looked at others? Did you see what they're driving? Oh, my word. There's reasoning attached to every unclean seed that wants to hold us back. And so renouncing is actually to declare a legal separation. It's to bring a divorce from that demonic influence. It's to issue a divorce. It's to say no more and not in my life. Now, I say this because the whole Bible is wrapped up in one of the metaphors of covenant keeping. It's, the Bible is a covenant keeping manual. And the way covenants are sealed, and again, we know this even through marriage, the way covenants are sealed is we believe in our heart and then we confess with our mouth. That's part of why Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 is very important, and it becomes an important verse for us coming to the Lord, giving our lives to the Lord, is that when we decide in our heart that we want what God has done for us in Jesus to be applied to our lives, then he says in Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, that we believe in our heart, and then we confess it with our mouth. And he says when you believe something in your heart, you enter into a right relationship When you confess it with your mouth, then there's a manifestation in the present realm of that relationship. So we believe unto salvation. uh, We believe unto righteousness. We confess unto salvation. Sozo. So likewise, this is interesting, but when you are dealing with kind of the the Klingons, the hold-ons, the leftovers, of your past life and things that want to mess with you and sabotage you and blind you and hinder you, when you're dealing with that realm, you're essentially breaking covenant with that realm. You're essentially doing the, you're doing the opposite of this right here. That is, you don't want to just think it in your heart only. Oh, I'm done with sexual immorality. Oh, I'm done with pornography. Oh, I'm done with, are you hearing me? It's not just mental. It's not just in the heart. But for it to have the power of a divorce, for it to have the power of setting you free, for it to have the power to cancel the insufficiency that Satan has ordained for your life, even the power of those seeds, I take what's happened in the cross and then I bring it up out of my mouth. And I declare because I know, I believe in my heart. That's not a part of me anymore. That's not my life anymore. That's not what I'm bound to anymore. That's not ordained for me anymore. That was put to death in the cross. How many of you know some things have been put to death in the cross? Every one of us in our churches all across the globe today, we know some things have been put to death in the cross, and they still bug us, they still torment us, they still harass us, and we're white-knuckling our way through some of the areas of our lives. Why? It's because we have believed in our heart, but we have not declared the divorce with our mouth. We have not turned and faced this thing and said, no more. And we haven't used our words to declare it. And this is a key to canceling the effect of lineage, the effect of seeds, the effect of injury, the effect of history that was messed up, where you messed up. Anybody ever messed up? The effect of that still wants to weigh on your todays, and you can turn and face it and say no more. The word is near you, it's in your mouth. And here is this scripture about not only making covenants, 
but breaking covenants. I want the band to come and help me this morning. So renouncing is something that we do with words, and it is spoken out loud. Here is, here's an example of a prayer or a renouncing declaration that I've stated over myself, and I've just welcomed you to, to look at this and just think on the areas that torment you. What bothers you? You come into a room, somebody doesn't give you attention, Does rejection immediately begin to visit you and you begin to feel like they don't care about you? That's something that you need to renounce. You need to begin to confront it and say, I renounce rejection. I'm done listening to it. I'm not a part of it. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I'm loved of God. I'm a love giver, and I don't worry what people think. Hello? Come on, a pretty girl goes by, guys. Are you immediately tormented with thoughts that are inappropriate? Oh, yeah, well, I just, you're going to tell me today, well, I just was noticing she's attractive. That's all. That's all. Yeah. You know how deep those thoughts go. You know what it's all about. You can overcome that stuff. It's time for you to begin to turn and say, no more in my life. No more in my life. No more in my soul. And this is the beginning of you really stating that you are hidden in the cross and that you have put to death that Adam life and that limited life, that that life that was actually tied to the curse. It's tied to sabotaging your future. This is a critical key to it. Here was my prayer. I declare that I'm dead to sexual immorality through the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not obligated to obey its urging. Sexual immorality is not of me. No longer a part of my identity. I'm a new creation. I'm free to live in sexual purity and restoration in Jesus' name. Come on, stand with me this morning. This is part of what, you know, when God spoke to Jeremiah and said, you're a prophet to the nations, it starts, it starts this way. First, you are a prophet over your own life. That's the way it really starts. So God says to Jeremiah, you're a prophet to the nations. I'm going to plant my word in your heart. And then you're going to open your mouth and you're going to pluck up. It's a garden metaphor. It's a garden metaphor. You're going to pluck up. See, there's a lot of weeds we just let grow. We don't pluck them up. I'm going to put my word in your heart. You're going to put it in your mouth. And with my word, in other words, the knowledge of my will and what I've done for you, you're going to pluck up and then you're going to plant. You're going to pluck up and you're plant. Lots of Christians running around planting, not plucking. Then they can't figure out why they've got so many Weeds growing alongside of good stuff in their garden, and the weeds are bigger than the good stuff. Why? It's just the principle that God gave Jeremiah. Here it is right here. Behold, I put my words in your mouth. I've appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down. It's the agricultural metaphor and the architectural metaphor. To destroy, to overthrow, and to build and to plant. I believe in positive confession, but how many people 
It's just positive blabbing. They don't have the fruit of positive confession because they're not doing plucking. They're not plucking. Come on, heads bowed, eyes closed, all across the audience today. God wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to be your father. But there's partnerships we entered into with our own faith. And I'm going to ask you, even if your head's bowed and eyes closed this morning, just to begin to meditate on things that have been harassing you, bothering you, following you. And it doesn't have to be moral failure, moral sin. It doesn't have to be sexual immorality as it was with me. It doesn't have to be that. It could be pride. It keeps bothering you. It could be rebellion. keeps bothering you. It could be fear. It keeps bothering you. Distrust of people or distrust of men or distrust of a family member that injured you. It could be just something keeps harassing you. It could be a distraction in the video games or just something that's stealing your time and you can't figure out what in the world is going on. Why is this thing just stealing my time? It could be any kind of attitudinal issue. I just want you to make a mental note right now. Actually, just begin to name like the top three things that have been bugging you. got those things. Now I want you to just begin to renounce those things. Just add your voice. It doesn't have to be loud. Just in whisper tones, just begin to renounce those things that have been harassing you. They're actually not of you. You're a new creation. They're actually not of you. They're actually not of you. They're actually not of the new creation. If they're not of God, they're not of you. We're just trying to make their way, sneak their way through the cross. Continue to influence you in this new creation side of the cross. And today we're saying no more. I'm going to ask the altar workers to come, some of the prayer partners to come, because some of you are also giving your life back to the Lord today. Some of you are just saying, I want to walk with God. I want the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. If that's you as we close this morning, I want you to make your way to the front. Others of you, you just, you're asking for some help this morning in processing everything that we've shared. Our prayer team, every member up here this morning is just a great coach in this realm that we're talking about. They'll help you. They'll lead you. They'll strengthen you. I want us to close in worship this morning, but I I want you to just worship with us. Don't run. Allow the Holy Spirit to just quicken this to you. Not only are we going to apply it this morning, but we're going to leave here making application, making application, making application. I just release upon you an an aggressive Christianity, an aggressive Christianity, a weed-plucking, crop-failure spirit an aggressive Christianity just to say no more in my life Lord we just welcome you to quicken who we are what we're called to the essence of the new creation and to bring to the forefront anything that's been hindering, harming, sabotaging harassing us 
that's contrary to your glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, 